Good morning. From Exodus 20:15, you shall not steal. From Luke 16:10 through 13, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with somebody else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Becky. Well, allow me to extend my own good morning to you this morning. Uh, I am Brian Telsrow. I'm the pastoral staff here at Fifth, and I get to uh, uh, enter into a discussion a little bit about the Word of God today. And uh, these particular passages are what we're focusing on, on the ten words uh, that are related to the Ten Commandments. Uh, and so I, am, uh, the, I have the gift of being able to talk about the eighth word, thou shalt not steal. Well, in my studies and preparations uh, this week, uh, I was thrown back to a, a memory of 20 years ago. Uh, we had a Bible study that was starting around 5th called Crown Ministries. Uh, and uh, we had, um, uh, my wife reminded me that this, today's memory is more of our second group uh, where we had uh, um, Tom and Stacy Dunning were leading our group. Uh, Jim and Marilyn Zinger were part of the group. Uh, Brent and Leslie Overway and Bruce and Sue Walters were part of that, along with Patsy Goers. Uh, and uh, these are folks that, again, we spent 12 weeks together walking through this study and memorizing different passages on a different topic that had to do with getting our financial house in order. Uh, but it also it had its way of bleeding into a lot of different areas of our lives. And we have led this study a number of times since then. And many of those passages have stuck with me through this, the time. One of those was for First Chronicles 29.11. For everything in the heavens and the earth is yours, O Lord. This is your kingdom. Or from uh, Proverbs 22. The borrower is servant to the lender. Or from Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own mind, but a wise man is one who listens to counsel. Many counselors. Uh, from uh, Leviticus 19, 11, uh, you shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. And then I came across this passage from our reading uh, from today. Um, if you have... If, if you have not been worthy or trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will entrust true riches to you? So as I was reflecting on thou shalt not steal, I kind of rest, uh, I identified that thou shalt not steal is really a statement about trust. And as I was uh, beginning worship here today, I was reminded again, we have this declaration every Sunday morning that we come together, or most of them, uh, when we declare our, our trust. In whom do you trust? And we say our help is in the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And it hit me as I was thinking about this this week, I'm thinking, is it? Do we truly put our trust in God and for everything in the course of our daily lives? 
Now, we're not really good at trusting others. Uh, Our trust is supposed to be in God, but we have a tendency to put anything else uh, in in place of God's place uh, of trusting him. Um, You know, again, we are creatures who want control. This goes way back to the garden uh, when we were told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yet, we thought our own way would be the right way to go. And so we have often done this almost on a daily basis. We want to take control and not really allowing God's ways to be in control. So we say to ourselves, God, do you really know what I'm going on in my life? I mean, this is 2,000 years since Jesus walked this planet. Uh, Do you really understand the things I'm going through with all the technology in my life? No, I want to take control. My trust is in the things that I want to do. Well, the reality is he knows plenty. He created each one of us with a free will. Therefore, he knows what we are prone to. Again, we heard it this morning. No one can serve two masters, Jesus said. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. But we do more than serve, pursue, or steal just money, right? There's other things that get in the way of this. I was reflecting a little bit about my own life growing up, and I remember the first time the opportunity to take something that wasn't mine, that I wanted, and I didn't have money to pay for it. There was a convenience store down the street from my house, and I remember the thought process and the feelings of taking a pack of gum uh, it was a bazooka kind of things. It was the bigger ones, the big square ones that you could actually break in half and just chew like I didn't have the money for it. And I took it. And I can't tell you, well, I can tell you because if you've ever done something of this, like you know that what happens internal when you take something you know that doesn't belong to you. And there was a tremendous amount of guilt that I felt going home. But I realized that nobody was aware. And so the thought of going back and doing it again Okay, it's a little bit easier the second time and the third time. Now, I don't remember how many times I'd done that, um, to tell you the truth, but um, I know that there's a level of guilt that reduces each time that you are in that practice. I also have a friend of mine um, who had a great job working at a bank, and his job was to count money and to verify the deposits from various places that were making their deposits. And again, he loved his job, was doing really well. But he recognized there were some things that he had going on that would really be nice if he had just an extra 20. So I thought, would anybody notice? So one day, he took a 20. Nobody said anything. Next week, came around as he was counting through things, and he thought, I'll take a couple more. He took a couple more. Nobody noticed. Pretty soon, this slippery slope began to grow. And he was up taking hundreds. Well, nobody noticed. Or so he thought. And when you're counting money and trying to verify and balance those things, somebody did notice. And he got caught. And he went to jail. And spent years in jail for this. And had to pay back that which he took plus a fine. Um, Not an easy thing to go through. But it was a slippery slope of taking things that he knew was not his. But he felt like maybe nobody would notice. And I'd still be able to do these things. He had a great job, but the temptation overtook him, and he failed to trust God in the process. Now, our passage for today is really about honoring property. 
It has to do more with our trust and our attitude that we have regarding God, what he's given us. So, and again, in Luke 16, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also likely be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you have been trustworthy with someone else's property, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, my friend who got caught stealing these $20 bills is not a bad person. He got caught up in the temptations that were right there before him. Um, he simply succumbed to those. Uh, and again, we get caught and lost in some of that kind of things, and those slope kind of things happen. Um, so as much, uh, he still had to uh, experience the natural consequences that come with doing things against God's standards, even though God still loves him deeply and, does, and loves each one of us deeply as we uh, kind of go against the tides of the things that he wants us to do in these 10 words. Now, Jesus made it clear here that it usually starts with something simple and grows into something big. That is why Jesus teaches us that whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. But if we're dishonest with little, we'll also be dishonest with much. Now, I was also reflecting a little bit on something uh, as we were uh, serving here at Fifth and living just down the street uh, on observatory. Um, when our daughter was three years old, they were, my wife and daughter were on a walk, and my daughter noticed a lovely flower from our neighbor's garden or their neighbor's landscaping, so she picked the flowers. And Becky recognized that this was a great teachable moment because these were not our flowers to pick. Uh, and so... Beck initiated a conversation with the neighbor and had Stephanie apologize or at least confess that this was something that happened. These weren't ours to take. Um, again, a simple little thing, but it's in the little things that we recognize that if we aren't um, faithful or honest with the little things, we're not going to be faithful and honest with the big things. Um, Stealing, as defined by Jen Wilkins in her book that we've been kind of using, The Ten Words to Live By, says that stealing is gaining at someone else's unwilling expense. Now, this flower was not ours to take, nor are the pens and pencils at work, nor are there towels or soaps or bed sheets at a hotel. I, I couldn't believe that people actually take the bed sheets uh, and from hotels, but yes, we do that. We also unconsciously steal time uh, from our jobs, doing things that are not job-related at the office or wherever we work. We're also very open to stealing information from our friends and sharing that with others when it's not our story to tell. These are all forms of stealing. Becky tells the story, uh, my wife, uh, about uh, an experience she had with her stepmom, Joyce. They were going to SeaWorld. And Becky was, uh, just had, uh, was 11, had just turned 12, and the marquee, as they walked up to the ticket counters whatnot, said that children 11 under were this price, and anybody 12 and older were this price. And Becky kind of tugged on her and says, oh, I can, I can get away with being 11, even though I just turned 12. And without hesitation, Joyce turned to Becky and said, my integrity is worth far more than the $5 difference. Well, we laugh at that, but that's a story Becky has remembered since she was 12 years old. The little things that matter. 
And again, I, I, I know those little things happen in all of our lives, but they remember they're part of that bigger slope of things that we think are ours to take when they're not really ours to take. Small things can develop into big things in a hurry. Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But the person who steals and is not trusting God says, my kingdom come, my will be done. It turns to my neighbor and, say, and demands, give me this day my daily bread. Well, we are selfish creatures because of the sin in our lives. Or we are sinful folks because of the selfishness in our own lives. The easiest definition of sin in my mind is selfishness. We do things for our own benefit, not considering the effort on someone else's life or the effect on somebody else's life. We battle this our whole lives. And Paul wrote, those, wrote this to, his, to the church in Rome where he said, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one from Romans 3. But only in Christ are we able to turn away from that selfishness and consider others' needs above our own. Our natural propensity is to protect ourselves and to meet our own needs. So, what is it going to take to not steal, to trust God, and to fulfill what he has said to each one of us? I think we need to figure what that looks like. So Paul says in the same letter to the uh, church in Rome that his sin was ever before him. The good that he wants to do, he doesn't seem to be wanting to do. And that which he doesn't want to do, his sin is very much in front of him, and he finds himself doing those things. Uh, then in his letter to the Philippians, he says that he has learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So from uh, Philippians 4, he says, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now the word that really pops out to me in that passage is the word learned. It's not our natural propensity to do so. It takes some effort. It takes some work on our part to learn what it means to be content with what God has provided for us. Paul speaks of contentment uh, as something that, again, that we must learn. And our natural propensity is to want more. And we kind of think that what we have is not enough. We live our lives accumulating and looking for things that we need to accumulate. And we always think that more is better. But that's not always the case. Uh, we have a phrase we've been throwing around at the house sometimes, less is better. Le or less is more. Uh, and it's, it's easier to manage. And, and again, uh, I, I have a tendency to kind of, when I don't know what to do something, I stick it up in our attic. Well, well Becky went up in the attic this week we got to get rid of a lot of stuff there's just too much stuff there and I and I agree with her we got to get rid there's no reason to just keep accumulating there's better places that could use the things not just throw them away there's still some things that could be useful to other places and we need to be intentional about giving those things away uh, more intentionally but I, I sometimes think that our desire to accumulate more is really saying to God that what he's provided is not enough. Or reality, he's not enough. And I need to wrestle with that. 
Many people have accumulated a lot of stuff that said it's never enough. It doesn't satisfy. Even Solomon said in all of his splendor, it's all meaningless. Now, I know there's some of us that said, boy, I would really like to try sometime just to see what that lifestyle is like. But the reality is, folks who have accumulated, it doesn't satisfy. There's something far more better so that we need to learn to what contentment really looks like. Again, Jen Wilkins in her book in the 10 Words talks about being givers versus takers. In our earlier passage from Luke 16, it says that we uh, want to be faithful uh, in much, we must learn to be faithful with the little things, such as pens, our time, and our information. You learn a lot about conversations, about how people see things and recognize, should you be telling me this? Is this your story to tell me? Are we taking some of that pleasure or confidence from somebody else because we're telling this story? Or are we using our time at work in ways that should be used differently? All of these things are challenging for us. Ephesians 4, 28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. That they may have something to share with those in need. The whole purpose of working is not about accumulating stuff for ourselves, but rather for having something that we can share with others. This is one way to learn contentment, to work and labor for the sake of others. And I would contend, even this morning, as Sam was mentioning the need for family promise, these are folks that are trying to get their lives back together. Uh, and they come here to Fifth for a week, uh, a number of times throughout the year, as an opportunity for us to be able to connect and to help serve and to help provide something with those that are in need. Uh, it's a great ministry opportunity to engage with. Uh, Wilkins goes on to say in her book, we are duty-bound to labor for the provision and the well-being of others. When we understand ourselves to be stewards of God's resources rather than owners, we learn to think differently about earthly treasures. So she throws out this concept. When it comes to matters of wealth, do you perceive yourselves as a terminus or a decision point? Or distribution point, excuse me. If a terminus, uh, you will then labor without rest to acquire that which you cannot keep. If a distribution point, you will labor to give away that which was never really truly yours to begin with. So when we hear others pray for their daily bread, does it occur to us that we might be the means of which that daily bread might be provided? The spirit of the eighth word should prompt us to consider that. Give us this day our daily bread. We're going to have a chance to reflect on that as we pray the Lord's Prayer during communion this morning and to think about those contexts and how we can be intentionally giving for the sake of others, learning God's contentment for the things that he's provided for our lives. It is our Father's design to give the kingdom of God to all who pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. When former thieves, which includes all of us, uh, or at least me, I confess that today, uh, but for many of us have taken some things in some way, shape, or form, determined by the power of the Spirit to be faithful in the small matters of generosity, they store up treasures in heaven that do not fail. 
No stock market crash, no natural disaster or lawsuit or foreclosure can diminish the value of the generosity expressed by takers turned givers. When we refrain from taking what is not ours and rush to give what we have received, we make manifest the kingdom of God here and now. Let me say that again. When we refrain from taking what is not ours and rush to give what we have received, we make manifest the kingdom of God here and now. Jesus, when he came, he said the kingdom of God is here. It's in, a pre- in, it's in the present tense. It's in a relationship with him. And so when we have the opportunity to act the way that he does, he came to serve, not to be served. We are really the manifestations of the kingdom of God when we act in such a way. It's never too late to turn from taking and begin the practice of giving. The thief on the cross next to Jesus was given that assurance uh, just hours before his dying on the cross. So, what is it going to take for us to learn contentment? Um, And I could unpack this way more than what we're doing here this morning, but I just want to give us four little tips in the process. To first recognize that everything in the heavens and the earth is God's. I mean, we say that. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who's maker of heaven and earth. Uh, And so know and recognize from 1 Chronicles that everything belongs to him. It's not ours. Secondly, to be faithful with the small stuff in our lives and remembering that it's all small stuff. We think it's only in the big things. It's like, no, 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 that's all small stuff that we're dealing with. But we have to be faithful even in the little things, the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we have. Be cognizant of that as we walk through our days to, again, bring honor to God in the things that we're doing. Third, Work with our hands to provide something to share with those in need. What is it that we have that we can give to others that we no longer are using? I've got an attic to go through. We're going to be going through that to be able to look for ways that we can give it to others so that it can be useful for them and not just storing and taking up space in our own lives. And then the fourth deal is to give yourself some grace in learning to be a giver versus a taker. That's a daily practice. You can even ask that at the end of your day. How did I do today? Was I more giving today or was I more taking today? And to know that if we do something every day, just moving in the right direction, that you're going to find yourself with a paradigm shift in your own practice of recognizing it's not about me, it's about him. And I want to be someone who is sought after as being generous with what God has provided. God is enough. No material possession, no story that is not ours to tell, no pleasure for our own benefit compares to what God wants us all to know, believe, and to experience in a relationship with his son. God is enough. When we find ourselves tempted, I want us to encourage us to say out loud and to take something that is not ours or or when we get tempted to that, to simply state God is enough. And I want us to repeat that on this third one, to say this together. Say this with me. God is enough. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes when we reflect on uh, the Ten Commandments, as we call them, or the Ten Words that we are learning in the course of this summer, 
We think they're extremely complicated, but in reality, they're pretty simple. In the first tablet, so to speak, of your commandments, when you ask us to have no other God before you, to, to not use your name in vain, and to love folks the way you have loved us, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, is a way to simply fulfill all of these commands. Lord, help us to re- reflect. When we think about taking something, and it's not ours, we leave it. When we think about lying about something, we just simply tell the truth. And we simply honor our fathers and our mothers, no matter where we might find ourselves, to do that in the simplest way that might bring honor to you. Lord, our desire is to trust you, to completely, unequivocally trust you with all that you have provided to learn what it means to be content and to give versus taking. Lord, I pray that we could think of one way that we could demonstrate that on this day and to begin developing that one day at a time that we might express to you and to others that you are enough. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.